Welcome to Marketing Murder Mysteries. I'm your host, Michael Graham. Joining me as always is the team from Millennium Agency, Linda Fineris, CEO and Chief Strategist. Hello, how are you? Good. And Rob Atkinson, Lackey and Bottle Washer. How are you? Doing great. Also the managing director, allegedly, although I've never seen him direct or manage at any time, I have to confess. Advertising and marketing proceed all the time. Brands getting killed in the marketplace, sometimes due to their own miscalculations, sometimes by events beyond their control. Brands also get killed when they bury their heads in the sand and don't understand shifts in consumer behaviors. Okay, Boomer, the rise of segmented marketing has made targeted marketing to your demo more important than ever. Unless you're speaking to your target audience the right way, you are killing your own brand. You're going to hear the case from our marketing detectives and then you can hand down your verdict. We ask, did a lack of segmented marketing kill your brand? Regardless of your industry, take a look around. Retail, music, beauty, automotive, banking and financing, travel, work, healthcare, insurance, you name it, every industry in its own way is affected by the relationship between the age of the consumer and how that consumer interacts with their brand. So let's do an exercise. I'm going to ask you about buying a new car, Rob. Are you with me? I'm ready. Okay. Would you produce the same new car ad for millennials, Gen Xers, and boomers? And Linda, what would be different about each ad? We'll start with Rob because he needs more time to get his thoughts together. (laughs) No, I would not produce the same ad because different age groups have different opinions about the car. So even if you take a same car, Toyota Camry, a younger person might like it because of the ec- the eco features in it and uh, the stylistic nature of it. But the older person, the boomers, might like it because of the safety features. So you're going to have to uh, appeal to each of those different audiences in a different way, right, Linda? Absolutely. So we always talk about you having a unique selling proposition. So what does appeal to someone who's 25 or someone who's just starting their family versus someone that's you know, retired and they want to buy some luxury car that could also work for even a younger demographic, the positioning should absolutely be different. And what's great now is that you can actually do that. So there's so much technology out today that allows you to customize your messages depending on who you're talking to. And we're able to look at behaviors and attitudes of people to really be able to customize a message that that resonates with them, that motivates them, that engages them. Yeah, and Ford does a great job with this. So they'll run the same ad, they'll have the same car for sale, but multiple different ads. So a younger um, group might be, the car might be red because it's flashing. But the older group, it might be a darker color or a white color or more neutral color. You know, so they do play to this all the time. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, and obviously they're very good at figuring out who their demographics are, depending on what the car is and the make and the model and the year and whatever the case may be. And I'm sure that the, that most, we'll take auto uh, auto manufacturers as an example. If you have a specific model, I'm sure they have a core audience that they're focused in on, but that product may also apply to other audiences or could apply. So there could be an, an extension opportunity for them to market that to a different audience. And how do you, t- how do you do that? To your point, you have to really customize your message and you definitely have to segment your message and be able to appeal to them in the way that makes sense to them. Because, you know, also though, but the thing about segmentation, which is also the benefit, is it's much more cost effective, right? So 
if, if I'm segregating my, segmenting my audience into a smaller group, right, that is going to be much more targeted. The ad spend is going to be much more focused and it's going to yield greater return on investment because I understand my audience and what motivates them more. And I think we're seeing a lot of that with our customers now. Don't right. You agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, especially with these, you know, these larger companies that have multiple different product lines and, and how are you supposed to target to them? And, and it's easy. I mean, you take, you know, we'll take Geico, for example, because basically they have one message. They have a couple different campaigns. They use their iconic figure. And when you see their marketing or you get something in the mail, it's basically asking you if you want a quote. There's not a lot of segmentation there. So I want to use Geico for the flip side of marketing mm -hmm. segmenting. So Geico is targeting motorcycle buyers. And motorcycle buyers, uh, motorcycle owners tend to be overwhelmingly male, tend to be younger, tend to be, although that's, I mean, I, there's definitely some geezers out there on some of the more comfy Harleys who really ought to think about parking it and getting themselves a rascal, but that's just my, my opinion. But so basically it's guys under 40, certainly under 50, you know, and they are running ads featuring the Motor character. Rob, have you seen Motor? I have. Yeah. Half man, half motorcycle. That's right. The half man, half motorcycle ad comes on my TV. And I know when it comes to my TV because my wife immediately goes, this stupid ad is on again. She hates the Motor ad. She asks me all the time, I don't get it. Motor? Explain to me. Motor? I don't understand. What, 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 and I, I can't explain it to you because that's the point is it's not for you. Is there a point where your segmenting of the marketplace can drive away potential customers because you're so in tune with Gen Z that millennials who also buy Toyota Camrys too, identify saying, nah, this car isn't for me, it's for those people. Or that marketing, just I, it was very off-putting. It left me with a bad, you know what I'm saying? Isn't there a danger in marketing? So let's look at the Peloton ad, right? So the Peloton ad came out and uh, in it, it looked like the woman who was given, the, the wife who was given the Peloton gift looked almost like she was a hostage in the ad. And there was huge backlash because it was fat shaming and the male seemed like it was a, a gift to her, uh, but it was really a gift for him to have the hot wife and keep that going. And of course, you know, it was a huge uproar, right? Uh, let me interrupt right there. As I recall, Linda, we did a podcast about the Peloton ad. And we asked the question, was it a net win or a net loss? And I believe, I remember, what did Rob say? Loss. Rob said it was a net loss. Yes, what do we now know? Went to prison. Now, <laughs> what now, do we... Now you know better. Now, what, did, what, what was the actual outcome of that? So it turns out that after the holiday, sales have been terrific. The stock is back on track. And actually, Wall Street now is saying that there's no competitor in sight that can match Peloton's value in the marketplace. And all has been forgotten. And not only that, but uh, they're opening up more locations. They're opening they are, up more stores. Yeah, up, uh, yeah. More. Yeah, which, exactly. is, which is really interesting. Exactly. The reason why the segmentation, though, so that appealed to uh, the core audience in a way that solidified their brand affinity for it. Right. And it actually captured other people in the marketplace. If you were to poll it, though, I would say people who couldn't afford the Peloton might have more negative connotations with that brand now than they did before because of the ad. And this is the important lesson that you're pointing out, which is who cares what people who aren't going to buy your product think about your product? Yeah. 
And obviously, you can take that to the extreme, but fundamentally, that's why market segmenting works is that you aren't worried about the uh, the millennials or the uh, you know from the older generation the boomers because if you're not if you're selling Hello Kitty lunchboxes it doesn't you know if right. if grandpa's buying a Hello Kitty lunchbox and it's not a gift something's wrong and so you don't care and so it's so important Linda to understand who your market is and to not be afraid to resonate with your market even if it means that the broader market the mass media market whatever is going to do write nasty articles about you and you're going to be called a sexist in the New York Times. You know what, what we found is really interesting with our customers? Um, a lot of them are doing a lot of personas and customer profiling. So we're, we're taking a look at, you know, how old are they? How much do they make? Where do they live? Do they live in the city or the country? And do they have dogs and how many kids and so on and so forth? And it gets so segmented that you can have 20, 25 personas for your product. And frankly, that's a lot of segmentation. And then trying to take those attitudes and behaviors of all of those individuals that are within that grouping of personas and trying to market them specifically can get incredibly expensive. So to the point of you look at like a Geico who just does a drop of a mailer and says, you know, we can get you a quote and you can save $500. There's some, there is also some value to that as well. And I think it's a fine line between really breaking down your demographic in a way that makes sense. So if you have a demographic, for example, that falls into a specific category and they're your core business, yeah, sure, focus in on that. But if you've got a lot of subcategories that may not generate the type of revenue that that core competency has, then maybe don't spend as much time on that and look at other strategies. But that's the brilliance of the Geico is that they, in their segmentation, they identified that savings was a component that was consistent throughout. And so they did the drop and it, 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 it worked for everybody in that particular case. Right. And how long have they been using that? I mean, it's been a long time. No, so you're absolutely right. The guys who want the motorcycles want to save money. You're right. right. But the guys that want the motorcycles really respond well to the motor ad. It makes them laugh. You know, it makes it, it's, it's like an inside joke thing. And they love that. And then it drives my wife crazy. I want to ask you about uh, now how ways to do business or ways to conduct your business. So there are now 1.3 billion active users on Messenger. 70% of people, 25 to 54 years old, say they would choose a message me button over a call me button if they wanted customer support. But research says that boomers would rather wait on the phone. For the boomers, it's a matter of trusting in people. Younger people say that dealing online significantly increases the level of customer support they get, plus it's how they do everything because they don't want to put down their device because they're little snots and we all hate them. So I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? Uh, but no, so what then, Rob, should a business do when confronted with information about their market, their segments of the market like that. Yeah, no, so if, you're, if you are advertising to a younger demographic and you're asking them to call your business, I would recommend right now that you change that and you come up with some way to text me or message me because anybody who talks to younger kids now, do they have the world's most expensive phone ever made in the history of the planet and they don't use the phone at all. It's gotta be texting, it's gotta be email, or if you can even do it on a social media platform, even better. You know what I 
what I find so intriguing is because you do, you have several different demographics. You have the, the okay boomers, right? Which we know about them. And then we have the, the middle demographic. Then we have the younger demographic. And we have always found, even working with our clients, is that the older demographic wants a phone call and they want a one-on-one meeting. They want to see the person. They want to talk to the person. They want to get the emotion. They want to make a connection in some sort of capacity. The slightly younger demographics will email till, you know, a face turns blue. And and the problem with some of that is that you don't always necessarily get the emotion and anything that's behind it. You can really, it can be misleading in some, in some examples. And those that are even slightly younger, and it'll be interesting to see how this ne- next generation, like, moves up. Will they just be texting for business and not emailing and not calling? I mean, I'm, I'm really just curious to see how all that will transpire because it's just continuously changing into a whole nother direction. And, and that one-on-one contact is just frankly disappearing. Well, based on my observation of my kids, they're going to get to the point where they're going to think something and then wonder why you didn't just show up and give it to them because it was too hard to reach over and type the letters on the phone. That's, that's where they're headed is put the AI implant in my brain so that when it says, I wish I could watch reruns of Ren and Stimpy, Ren and Stimpy will pop up on my TV. That's, that's where my kids are going. And this is a very disturbing thing. But so here's my question. Strategies for simultaneously speaking across the segmented markets. You mentioned, Rob, of finding a, uh, a value, a feature that, of your product that provides value to multiple segments. So that's easy. I mean, selling, you know, everybody wants less expensive. Everyone wants more for less. And that's all this easy stuff. But are there ways, I mean, you mentioned giving up phone numbers. When I was in radio, I would beg clients that I was doing ads for, don't put your phone number in. This is, this is stupid. It wastes time that I could tell them about why they should contact you instead of saying a phone number they're never going to remember. They're going to go to the web. They're going to Google the name of your company. So let's work on that. You know, give them your website, whatever, et cetera. <clears throat> um, but, you know, having a hashtag and a website, it's easy. So you can put that, you can combine your messages in a way that they don't step on each other because you really, you know, the, the Facebook page is for grandpa, the TikTok right. is, for, right. is for the grandkid. But what are some other ways that you can talk without stepping on the other segment. So I'm saying where you, where you don't have to pick segments, you can reach them. Well, it depends. So, you know, like Snapchat, for example, there's now opportunities for advertising on that. And that's a great platform. In fact, um, you're seeing a rise in people who like the whole idea that the message disappears after a certain mm-hmm. period of time, because it, it gets people to go back to that platform over and over and over again. So if you're a brand and you're trying to get a message out, especially to the younger demographic, you can get multiple bites of the apple because the kids keep coming back and looking at it because the message will go away and you have to put a new message in there. Uh, so there are ways you can, you can use technology to reach the people that you're trying to use effectively. And so is that one strategy is just to in essence have, here's my you know, print ad message for people who read newspapers, here's my, you know, Instagram, you know, just use social media and reach your segments that way. Is that it just to, to split your message up a bunch of yeah. different ways? At print, you know, it's so interesting because, I, you know, we find we're using print less and less. In fact, you know, just last year, social media advertising finally surpassed print altogether. So, you know, you can see the downward trend on that. Um, and subscriptions are, are dying. But even, you know, even they're dying, um, like the union leader in New Hampshire, um, a classic example of one, so the Sunday paper, I think, put out 100,000 
um, papers every every Sunday as a circulation. Even today, it's at 50,000. That's still a substantial mm -hmm. number. You're still attracting a, a very targeted uh, person who probably still uses that. It's an older person, but you can use that effectively to communicate with them. But you're not going to get anybody you know, 30 or below who's going to even look at that other to crinkle it up and throw it in the fireplace to light the logs, you know? Right. You know, it's so, it's funny to hear you talk about Snapchat, and I got a little stuck on that because what, what um, it's, it's almost like here it is and I'm taking it away. Here it is and I'm taking it away, basically, when you're talking about some of the images and then they disappear and that's the end of it. So, of course, kids keep going back because they need that constant satisfaction of, you know, what's next? You know, what's what's coming up next? And in a in a weird way, it is marketing. You know, it is marketing. It's causing it's causing their target market to come back for more, which I think is so interesting, um, and just a, a totally different strategy than what you know some of the old so, some of the other strategies that we've dealt with over the last twenty yeah, plus years. Yeah, we're much more linear in our thinking in terms of like we'll do a TV ad, we'll put it out on TV, we'll do it on YouTube. And then people will consume. Right. But this is a this is a different approach, and this is definitely where it's going. Uh, especially to Michael's point, when start, people start thinking that they want things, I mean that kind of thing is going to start coming up. Where yeah. you have to have the you know the new and instantaneous messages to adapt to the situation, right? Right. So you're almost doing event marketing on every type of you know Super Bowl and everything else, and those ads are constantly appearing for Valentine's Day, Super Bowl, all right. of these things, but. In a, in, a, in a world like Snapchat, where it goes away so quickly, you might be putting multiple messages out. Uh, a whole campaign isn't just one thing, it's 20 things that are going over a series of days, especially for Christmas. Right. My last question is, what about marketing that specifically plays the segments against each other? You know, there's that classic ad, it, it, doesn't work, it doesn't work like this. You know, nothing where the, the ladies are have they have their friend wall and it's an actual wall with photos of their friends, the little old ladies, and I'm going to unfriend you and she, you know, that kind of thing. And it's I, I love the ad, but it's making fun of older people. And then there's plenty of ads that make fun of young people for being clueless, etc. You know, is that is that good or bad for your brand? Well, it's perfect. It's, in many cases, it works really well. So take the classic example of Apple versus Microsoft, where you have the hip young guy working mm -hmm. on. I'm a PC, right. I'm a Mac, right? And those attributes can be easily identifiable with people. And basically, you know, it was, it really cast the people who are, I'm a PC person in, in it. It was, they were more of a clunky kind of person, right, more right. older to adapt. Yep. And, and, and Mac was able to capitalize hip on that hip, young, and trendy, work, and, and we're not getting viruses. Cool. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> right. right? You know, so uh, no, that's you know, that's no, a good but really, point. But it really worked because it compared and contrasts the differences yes. of the segmentation, yes. and it drilled down on the people they yeah. were trying to do. Yeah. It basically said, if you're this person, this product's not right for you. Right. If you're but this if person, you're this person, yeah. then. You gotta buy us, yeah. and it built loyalty, brand affinity, mm -hmm. and so it was incredibly effective. Right, and people identify with that. You know, they identify with that feeling. Right, it's all about the feeling they get when when they talk about a brand, or when they discuss a brand, or they think about buying a brand. It's what feeling does that give me? And by the way, I wasn't completely wrong on Peloton because their stock did take a huge hit over the. It holiday. did. It did. It so, did. But, but it, it, it made a great back. comeback. It did. I hate to great. say it, but yeah, it made a great comeback. No, I I absolutely agree. 
By the way, that was eSurance that did those ads yeah. with saving the photos from my vacation on my wall. Yes. And, and, yeah. and so it's, it's, it's absolute classic. In a future podcast, we are going to discuss the outrage that it is totally cool to make fun of men and husbands and never cool to buy your wife a Peloton. I, that's, <laughs> somebody has to stand up and make or that point. Make that point. Or a vase or a vase. <laughs> You've been listening to the Marketing Murder Mysteries podcast brought to you by the Millennium Agency. Get more information about Linda and Rob at millennium.agency. I'm your host, Michael Graham. Stay tuned. Our Marketing 101 tip coming up. Now it's time for our Marketing 101 segment with Rob Atkinson from Millennium Agency. Rob, what is your tip for the person who's the staffer at their business who suddenly discovers that they are supposed to be helping with their company's marketing? Yeah, so the first thing you need to do is look at LinkedIn. This is, the, this is a pet peeve of mine, and companies um, often write in the third person about themselves on the LinkedIn page, and that is, that's just a recipe for disaster. <laughs> You gotta be, this is your first uh, impression to your new customer, right? So take the moment to, you know, be bold. It's a handshake, make it warm, personal, and don't be afraid to sprinkle your company's personality into the LinkedIn page because it's the first impression you're making with a customer and hopefully you're gonna make a lasting one. Um, tell me more about how people should be using LinkedIn for their company. Yeah, so, um, pictures are great. You know, we also incorporate video into it. We also like to make specific call to action. What we find people do is they they cut and paste from brochures and they put it onto LinkedIn and they say, "I'm done. This is great. I got something there." It's a selling tool. More and more people are going to your company either to learn about it because they want to work there, which is your brand, and you want to make sure that you're attracting the top talent. Right. And you're also trying to attract you know, the right customer. So you might have a customer who's doing some research on your brand and go to it. That's another opportunity for you to make a connection with them on social media and for them to learn more about your company to reach out. But they're not going to do it if it's a dry, boring thing about your company. In 1946, we started, <laughs> you know, no, stop madness now and put some personality into your LinkedIn page today. So I use LinkedIn as me, but should there be a page for, say, my company and then a page for the CEO and then the net? You see what I'm saying? Or, or does the company need its own LinkedIn presence separate from its employees? Yeah, absolutely. The company needs its own LinkedIn page. And this is what I'm talking about. Don't write in the third person about the company. Be warm. Sprinkle the personality into it. And also make sure that the CEO's LinkedIn page isn't saying something crazy about the company or one of the workers. Take the time to go through people's um, write-ups about the company to make sure it matches what your branding mm -hmm. is about it because you don't want to have a rogue convoy captain driving <laughs> off into the you know fighting the fighting the, the combatants out into the wilderness you, you want everybody on the same message and you know one of the easiest things that someone can do if you are trying to help your own business with marketing is to give everybody in your company who has a social media account LinkedIn whatever hey could you put this in Yes. this link to our company or our Twitter handle or our LinkedIn link, whatever, so that all my employees, as people visit their page, ask them, would you mind telling people, you know, I work at, so obviously on their LinkedIn page, it says where they work. 
So can you be sure to put this information in about where you work? And, yes, and use the, all your employees and just say, hey, this will help the company. And if the company does better, you'll do better. Yes, yeah, suggested copy is terrific. Yeah. I see the most successful companies, uh, Sinclair Broadcast Group, every time they advertise a job, they say, we love broadcasting and we want you to work for us. They, everybody who puts out a job ad puts that out there and it's really effective because it shows that they love broadcasting, sure. they care about their employees, and it's a universal message. Mm -hmm. And you don't have somebody saying, you know, here's a crappy job out right. in Wichita. No, it's, it's a universal statement yeah. and you try to get control of it. And it's also just your other opportunity. It's that handshake again. It's your first impression and make it a lasting one. And it's so fascinating to me that people work so hard on, say, LinkedIn to say, okay, how am I going to reach all these total strangers who know nothing about me? And they spend so little time thinking about their coworkers and immediate network and close, you know, long time, a lot of businesses have long time clients that they kind of grew up with. And those clients are probably saying, hey, man, I'm happy to help you with your LinkedIn. What, you want us to, you know, to tell people we use you? Sure, we're happy to. But they, they're thinking about the strangers and not thinking about their friends all of whom have a social media presence that could be a marketing tool for your company. Right, and you know, the, the, the ones that are the worst at it are just put like the, the actual listing of their job title right. and that's all there is. <laughs> and it's not even complete, it may just have right. one or two of them. And it, you know, it's really an opportunity for uh, clients or you know, the meetings that you have, people want to learn about you so they right. can feel like they can make a connection with you at these meetings. And if you don't give them that information, it's really hard to do. Rob Atkinson, thanks for helping us with our Marketing 101 segment this week. It's a pleasure.